Welcome to Barbell Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Brent Ruska, personal trainer, yogi, and Muay Thai enthusiast. Each episode, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock strength and vitality in your life. All right, guys. Welcome, Marshall, to the podcast. Marshall, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from. Yeah, my name is Marshall Seedorf. Uh, born and raised uh, outside of Atlanta, North Georgia. Um, Braves fan. Sad day. We just lost the Dodgers. <laughs> Anyways, uh, work for Force of Nature Meets here in Austin, Texas. I am our uh, sales director and conservationist on the team. Um, moved to Texas about eight years ago. Nice. I uh, live here with my wife and daughter, and uh, yeah, we love it. It's a great place to be. Force of Nature is a great uh, company to work for and uh, an exciting mission uh, to be a part of what we're doing. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you guys out because uh, as everyone knows that after sleep, what you eat is vital to your fitness, your health, and your well-being, right? And where your food comes from and how it's grown is essential for the health of the planet, uh, but for the importance for the animals and the longevity of future generations' wealth and health. Uh, tell me, tell me about force of nature. So, what is what is force of nature? Yeah, so Force of Nature is a regenerative meat company. Uh, our story at Force of Nature, we um, are about a year and a half old as a company. Uh, our founders, uh, Taylor Collins, Katie Forrest, and Robbie Sansom, uh, were all previously involved with a company called Epic Provisions. Taylor and Katie actually founded that company back in 2013. Um, you know, to make a long story short there, they were also vegans at one time. Oh, wow. Um, you know, very environmentally driven in purpose. Uh, for doing so, they they couldn't get behind a lot of uh, you know how their meat was being produced, and so they just gave it up completely. Oh wow, I didn't know uh, that. They were both athletes. Uh, Katie was an Ironman uh, participant and very successful at it, and uh, she was struggling with her health. And uh, you know, through visiting some holistic health doctors and talking to friends and family and her support network, you know, they all kind of made the decision that incorporating meat back in her diet would be beneficial to her. Uh, so when they made that realization, they, you know, they said, Hey, if we're going to eat meat, we're going to eat meat on our terms and it's going to be meat raised to our standards. That's amazing. Uh, and with that, they founded Epic provisions and started a meat company, uh, really to revolutionize the products available to consumers, you know, that they were truly regenerative in nature, uh, you know, served all of the, um, stakeholders along the way, whether it's the rancher, the animal, the environment, or the end consumer better than what was already out there. Uh, so they, they did Epic Provisions. It's a, it's now a, a huge company. Um, they actually sold it to General Mills back in 2016 with the mission that General Mills could come in and scale their mission even further. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. They, uh, their mission was to, to convert 1 million acres to regenerative ranching and farming practices. Okay. And so with General Mills coming on board, they were able to not only reach that million acre mark, I think they surpassed 2 million acres now. So a really successful partnership. Uh, you know, with the, uh, the windfall, you know, of selling that company to General Mills, they were able to, to take some of that and buy Rome Ranch, uh, which where, where we sit today is about an hour west of here out in Fredericksburg. Uh, and they've actually started their own regenerative farm and ranch out in Fredericksburg. They've got uh, what's now close to 100 bison out there, and they're running this land that was once extremely degraded. Uh, you know, monocrop farmland uh, is now... Uh, increasingly productive grasslands uh, that they raise bison on. They've got pigs, they've got chickens, they've got turkeys, you know, all of these different animals working uh, in synchrony 
to truly regenerate the soil. Um, and so after they bought the ranch, um, you know, they started a meat company called Rome Ranch Meats to sell the meat that they raised at the ranch. And they quickly realized, hey, this is a much bigger opportunity within fresh and frozen meats than just our ranch can produce. And so with the Epic model behind them, they kind of said, oh, we, we have these relationships with these awesome regenerative ranches around the world. Why don't we scale this and do a fresh and frozen meat company to bring this regenerative meat to the fresh and frozen meat department uh, at retail and online and direct to consumer? And so that's what we did, and that's the impetus of Force of Nature, uh, along with Robbie Sansom, who was uh, part of the Epic team. Uh, the three of them founded uh, Force of Nature about a year and a half ago. Okay, wow. So do you work with other farms as well? You bring them in? or Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so you know, we have those legacy partnerships that they developed with Epic Provisions uh, that were early partners at Force of Nature. But the mission with Force of Nature is to build a, a truly global regenerative supply chain. And, you know, the bigger we can grow force of nature, the more uh, ranches and farmers that we can work with to help them convert their operation from conventional or, you know, a step in the process to truly regenerative. Um, you know, we see ourselves as the connection between ranchers that are, are doing regenerative practices and the end consumer. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Well, so, okay. So what is, so we need to know now, what is regenerative farming and regenerative meat production so let's talk about what is it yeah that's a great question and i think uh, it's become a buzzword as of lately for sure uh, so for folks to understand truly what it is is really important and and to do that i think you know overall you acknowledge that soil health is the foundation of regenerative agriculture and when you look at most other types of agriculture in existence today most notably industrial you know agriculture you know soil is seen as a commodity and with regenerative soil is the focus. You know, you're trying to create these healthy soils and really mimic what Mother Nature created over millennia through these processes uh, in nature. There are five kind of founding principles of regenerative agriculture that I think it's really important for folks to know because it kind of translates healthy soil into like ranch practices. Uh, so the first one is limit or minimize tilling. Uh, so tilling, for those that don't know, is simply turning over the soil with a, a mechanical instrument, usually a plow, um, to turn it up. It uh, does a lot of things. Uh, but with regenerative, you want to eliminate that as much as possible, and we can get into why. Uh, the second principle is you want to armor the soil. And so if you were to walk out in the, you know any ecosystem that's productive today, um, you'd see stuff on top of the ground, basically litter, you know, leaves. Yeah. Um, branches, all kinds of organic material that's in some state of decay uh, into the ground. And it kind of protects that soil from rain, from wind, from sun, and all of those things that, you know, tilling exposes it to. Um, the third principle is biodiversity. And this is a big one. Um, nowhere in nature are you going to go out and see a single crop growing in abundance without any type of biodiversity. You're going to see hundreds of different types of grasses and trees and forbs and legumes and, you know, all different types of things uh, before you even get into the diversity of animals living there. Um, and that's something that we try to, to replicate with regenerative agriculture is biodiversity. Uh, the fourth is living roots. Um, and this is important. You know, you never want to have bare soil uh, and you want to protect that soil. And, and roots do so much to you know, through photosynthesis, they're, you know, soaking up sunlight and their root systems are actually putting out nutrients into the soil 
that the soil then returns to the plant in different forms. And so there's an exchange going on there that's super important. Uh, and the fifth and final and probably the one that we're most of, proud of is animal integration. Uh, again, you know, our, our soils are what they are or were what they were uh, a couple hundred years ago because of animals and this whole system work, working holistically together. Um, you know, when, when settlers arrived in North America, there were between 40 and 60 million bison on the Great Plains of this country, you know, everywhere from northern Mexico to southern and central Canada. And, you know, along with elk, different types of deer, all kinds of different animals that working together uh, really helped create the soil that we have or that we had. That's amazing. So what is the current agriculture or farming processes now that are different than regenerative, the common? So I think it was what after World War II, they went into the, that was the industrial agriculture kind of revolution. And that's when they mass produced all these machines that started just tearing up the land. And then they started separating what cattle into feedlots and then just doing monocropping. Why is that not good? Well, I think everything was well-intentioned, right? And yeah. in World War II, we were experiencing a, a, a true food crisis along with other, you know, world crisis like the world has probably never seen and hopefully never will again. Yep. Um, so while being well-intentioned, we created all these processes that didn't take into account the long-term effects of what we were doing. Um, and so things like tilling and moving animals into feedlots, um, it doesn't look at the long-term effects. And so when you till soil, for instance, you know, a lot of what we do today in, in commercial industrial agriculture, we're constantly tilling, spraying, uh, fertilizing, uh, you know, you're basically nuking your soil. Okay. Uh, when you till soil, you expose it to elements. So, you know, rainfall can wash away your topsoil. sun, you know, when you don't have, you know, covered, soil the sun can bake out those nutrients um you, cool example from rome ranch uh taylor and katie and the team out there like to do uh soil temperature gauges in the summertime oh wow and so we'll walk around out there and, and plug the thermometer in the ground like a meat thermometer that you'd put in a steak while it's on the grill to tell you the internal temperature <laughs> yeah and uh you know a healthy soil can maintain a temperature in the middle of the texas summer heat of about 70 to 80 degrees when it's got adequate cover, it hasn't been tilled or exposed to the elements. And if you go into the, some of the neighboring properties out there and you stick the thermometer in the soil that's been tilled, um, you know, it can be like 120 plus degrees. And so, you know, one of the interesting things about soil is it's a living biome. There's all kinds of living uh, fungi and, and things in the soil that are important and crucial to soil health. And when you think about cooking a steak, back to that analogy, you know, you start to think about what temperature do you cook a steak to to kill, you know, living organisms in that steak? You know, it starts 120, 130, you know, you start to get to that range and things start to die. Yep. Um, so a lot of these principles, you're trying to, you know, keep that soil biodiversity intact. Yeah. I was watching uh, that documentary that everyone should watch, Kiss the Ground, and they were talking, I think like a can of healthy soil has more like microorganisms and diversity than all the human beings on the planet. And that when you eat food, you're not actually eating the food. Your, your bacteria in your gut is digesting the food and then it's releasing that microbiology that's from the soil. So if you don't have healthy soil and you just have these chemical input, you know, 
animals and plants, you're not getting very much nutrition out of what you're eating. Even if it looks organic and healthy and shiny and pretty, uh, you're, you're, you're missing uh, a lot of the health benefits. Yeah, you are what you eat. And it's the same thing with plants and animals. When they don't have healthy soil, you know, plants can't pull the nutrients that they need to be healthy. And same thing with animals. You know, when you don't have healthy grasslands and, and nutrient-rich soils feeding those grasslands, those animals aren't going to be healthy. So it's a, it's a pretty easy comparison to make between humans and our diet and what plants and animals need to be healthy. That's cool. So how does so I know they have on Rome Ranch, they have the buffalo. Uh, how, do they, uh, how, how do they integrate the buffalo or use the buffalo to help with the regeneration of the land? Walk me through kind of uh, how the buffalo help and how they uh, operate them. Sure. Yeah, so animal integration is one of the five key principles of regenerative agriculture. And with that... You know, with animals, you're you're basically, you know, putting organic material back into the soil in the form of urine and manure. You're also encouraging plants to you're stimulating growth. And so, you know, one of the things that's kind of crucial to understanding how regenerative agriculture with animals works in practice is you're constantly moving the animals around. And to talk about Rome Ranch specifically, the team out there is moving those bison once every one to two days in very small pastures and it's very well planned and thought out you know they might have a hundred bison in a 15 acre pasture or even smaller sometimes depending on how healthy that grass is and how much food is there for them but those bison might not return to that pasture for three to six months after they're there and so that impact is very controlled and they're eating the grass they're stimulating root growth in that grass they're not overgrazing it to the point that it can't you know, grow bigger and stronger than it was before, and then they're not returning until it does. Um, so not only are they stimulating the growth of the plants and animals there, but they're also depositing their organic material in there that serves as a natural fertilizer. Yeah, that's interesting. Tell me kind of your thoughts on organic, organic produce and meats and all that. Yeah, so organic, um, you know, it does one thing that we align on, which is, you know, removing a lot of the synthetic inputs uh, that our industrial system has become dependent on. But, you know, as it relates to animals specifically, it's a bit deceptive. You know, you can have an organic meat product that was, you know, finished in a feedlot. You know, it can be constrained and fed, you know, grass, which is organic, uh, or even organic grains. And so when you're buying meat, you know, what I would encourage folks to, to really be looking for is grass finished and pasture raised. Uh, for us as a company, Force of Nature, you know, our trifecta is grass fed, grass finished, and pasture raised. Uh, because we really feel like that encompasses, uh, in a claim form, what a consumer should be looking for if they care about all those stakeholders that we talked about. They care about the land, they care about the animal, they care about the rancher, and they ultimately care about what they're putting in their body. Yeah. And what's kind of we haven't even touched on yet is this regenerative farming practice is potentially one of the ways to reverse climate change. So uh, in that documentary, Kiss the Ground, they said there's this thing called legacy carbon, and it's the amount of carbon we've released from the Industrial Revolution and have released over however long we've been here and it doesn't go away. So even if we were to stop all our emissions, the planet would still continue to heat and it would still continue to desertify uh, a lot of the land. And by creating healthy soil, the soil is able to absorb 
carbon. And so they propose in this that if you were to get most of the soil healthy again or back to soil from dirt, that you could absorb almost all of the carbon that is causing damage in the environment. Uh, there's a couple different TED Talks. I'll link a bunch of this stuff in there that's really interesting. But uh, just that is incredible. I mean, that the soil can pull in all that carbon. Carbon is not the bad guy. It's it's so important, right? Yeah, you. I mean, you made a healthy distinction there between dirt and soil. Yeah, I, I almost, I, yeah. It's, the thing, dirt is nothing living in it. It's just dust, right? Which is what we've created through industrial agriculture. Yeah. And from what I understand, we only have 60 more seasons of harvest until we have complete desertification. Yeah, well, what, we, what we've done is not sustainable in the long term. You know, we can't continue to have soil that we're turning into dirt that is dependent upon our inputs to produce outputs. And those outputs are increasingly becoming less nutrient-dense and good for our bodies. Yeah. Um, not only that, we're destroying wildlife habitat. We're... We're doing all these things to the environment through that process, whether it's runoff, um, you know, chemical runoff or soil runoff uh, that are just not sustainable. Um, And so, yeah, healthy soil has a huge potential to store carbon. You know, through this industrial system, we've actually released a lot of that carbon into the atmosphere. And so what you're looking at is a medium that now has a huge potential to grab some of that carbon back out of the atmosphere how do you do that? It's through regenerative principles. It's through all of those things that we talked about. It's through animals and really focusing on soil uh, and organic matter in soil to capture that carbon and create a healthy system. That's awesome. Well, tell me about your story of how you got involved with these guys and why you even care about any of this. Because obviously you must have a, I would assume, you know, a, a deep connection with values and principles to regenerative farming and the care of animals and, and the environment. Absolutely. Well, I'm a, I'm a lifelong hunter. Nice. Uh, introduced to hunting at a very young age uh, through my, my dad and then also through my uncle who lives in Northern California on what used to be a very conventional farm. Um, and through hunting, you kind of go through this natural progression of, you know, connection to your food and serving it to your friends and family and then starting to think about, well, you know, I know where my meat comes from. Where does everything else I buy come from? Or I know where my red meat comes from. Where does my chicken come from or my fish come from? And it sends you down this path of starting to question and look into and research, you know, these different food systems that we've put in place. Uh, you know, another way I really got turned on to this whole regenerative ag movement, um, in college, actually, I had an internship working for Chipotle, <laughs> Okay, which at the time was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but through that, you know, for as big as they are, they do a lot of great things. Okay. And, um, you know, at the time they were behind the scenes supportive of a film called American Meat that really featured one of the thought leaders in the regenerative space, Joel Salatin. Okay. Uh, he's got a regenerative farm in Virginia. If you haven't heard of them, I'd encourage your listeners to, to Google them and check out what they're doing. It's pretty cool. Rad. Um, but I learned about that and started to make the connection between this system of providing food for my family that I deeply cared about and wanted to share with others and how, you know, farmers and ranchers could start to do things that, you know, looked a whole lot more like this nature system that I had come to grow and, you know, grown to love. Um, and it just, you know, was a really natural progression for me, if you will. That's awesome. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, tell me about some of the animals you guys, you, uh, 
you distribute uh, on uh, force of nature? Yeah, so Texas bison, uh, we currently source all of our bison from here in Texas. Okay. Uh, Grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture-raised bison. We've got ground bison. We sell some bison tenderloins that... You know, if I had to rank my meats, are are definitely in the top five. Okay, of, I didn't know you guys sell tenderloins. Yeah, so we sell them as eight ounce fillets right now, uh, and then seasonally we'll sell the whole tenderloin, uh, which is a phenomenal product and a, a great way to kind of show off to friends and family. Okay, rad. Uh, we sell uh, grass fed, grass finished venison and elk meat. Um, grass fed, grass finished beef. Uh, one of the coolest products that we have, we do it in beef and we do it in bison is our ancestral grinds. Okay. And so we take 10% organ meat and incorporate it into your muscle grind. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So you're actually getting some heart and liver and the nutrients that come along with those cuts in your, you know, grind that you can make meatballs or, you know, whatever hamburgers, you know, out of, and it's, they're the most nutrient dense cuts of the animal, and it's a great way to start to you know introduce those to folks. I had no idea. I I've, I've been buying the venison uh, ground, and it's amazing. Yeah, I've, I've never actually had venison before. Then I, I was like, I'm just going to pick this up and start eating it. Uh, super good. Yeah, that, thank you. That's great <laughs> feedback. But one of the coolest parts about it, I think, yeah. when you just look at the meat. It's so just deep dark oh, red. It's almost oh, purple yeah. in it's color. It's super red. I mean, the nutrients are like screaming at you through the package. Yeah. And when you open it, it's, you, there's no like stink to it. Smells nice. Cooks really well. Tastes really good. Uh, so where do you get the venison? Do you hunt that or is that, how's that, how's that work? Yeah. So to understand sourcing venison and elk for that matter, it's, it's a little bit of a history lesson. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. So this is uh, where I get real excited. Yeah. I'm down. (laughs) Uh, wildlife history in America. I could, I could do like 10 shows on that. Awesome. But, um, so, you know, in this country, you know, roughly in the time period following the civil war market hunting became a major industry. And, you know, we talked about how we had 40 to 60 million bison roaming the Great Plains. We also had millions and millions of elk and different types of deer and all different types of animals. And through about a 12-year period, we market hunted most of those species to the brink of extinction. Oh, my God. Um, And so through that, you know, at the time we realized, oh, hey, this is a real problem. Folks like Teddy Roosevelt and others, you know, started to, to make progress into creating laws and regulations on hunting to protect that. So now our system today is a conservation system that is, you know, in my opinion, one of the best in the world. You know, we have flourishing populations of wildlife, deer, elk, uh, you know, all these different things that we've brought back from the brink of extinction. Um, and with that, we made market hunting illegal. Um, and so to, you know, speak to venison and elk, it's illegal for you to go out and actually hunt uh, a wild deer or elk in the United States and then sell it, uh, for any, to anyone, whether to a friend or to the commercial market, uh, which has done a great thing in protecting our wildlife, uh, but has essentially turned the domestic venison and elk market into what looks a lot more like a feedlot because you're talking about livestock and not wild animals. And our livestock system is, is, you know, that's the model they're working off of. Yeah. Uh, and so we've partnered with folks that we've known through the epic uh, days uh, over in New Zealand that are raising these animals on these huge open pastures that are really mountainsides uh, in what clo- you know looks very closely like their native habitat. Uh, and cool fun fact about the elk over there, uh, those elk are actually Rocky Mountain elk. Oh, so wow. they're descendants of the elk that are native to, to the U.S., 
Uh, and a lot of those animals are descendants of uh, animals gifted to the country of New Zealand by Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and the venison we're sourcing over there is actually red deer, uh, or some folks may know it as red stag, uh, similarly gifted to the country by, you know, European countries. Um, so, yeah, that's a long way about how no, we I love get those it. animals, but I think it's an interesting story. Yeah, they're super tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, so it's the ancestral meats that are the ones with the ground-up organ. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, so you got those guys, and then I think you have wild boar as well. We do have wild boar, and that's an interesting one to talk about yeah, too. Tell me about that. Yeah, so wild boar, you know, we just went down the the history of, you know, market hunting in this country and why it's illegal. Well, that only protects native species, and wild boar is actually an invasive species. It's native to Asia, Eastern Europe, uh, and North Africa. Okay. And so those animals were brought over with settlers and domesticated, and then they escaped. Um, and they have, you know, gone crazy in our country. I think last time I looked it up, it was about 10 million wild hogs in this country. Uh, Texas actually has the biggest population in the, in the country and in all 254 counties in this massive state, we now have a wild hog population. (laughs) So they are not protected. Uh, we can absolutely harvest them for sale to the commercial market. Uh, and it's a really unique item because, you know, when you've, for instance, when you shop the the seafood department at your favorite grocery store, you know one of the things I would encourage folks to look for is wild caught, uh, sustainably wild caught. And with wild hog, you have exactly that. You have a not only sustainable sustainable wild caught, but something that's actually you know helping you uh, choke back the the progression and proliferation of these animals. And you're getting an animal that was raised wild. I mean, how cool is that? That's really cool. Uh- so is that that comes ground or how does that come? That comes ground. Okay, yeah. And cool. uh great breakfast sausage. Uh or, really? You know, breakfast taco application. That's probably my favorite go to application for the wild boar. That's awesome. It seems like it's pretty lean or what's the what's what's the difference of wild hog versus like a pig or anything like that? It's definitely leaner. Uh it's got a little bit different flavor to it. Okay. Um you know, for instance, like you're not going to see big slabs of bacon off of a wild hog. They're out running around, you know, doing wild animal stuff. Um, and so they just don't get quite as fat uh, as a, you know, a commercially produced pig would. But they are phenomenally tasty. And, I, and the flavor profile is almost indescribable in comparison to your standard pork. Okay. Um, and we do sell pastured pork, which is an amazing product as well. And something super, super unique. Almost nobody's doing truly pasture raised pork. Oh really? Why is that? It's just not the model that it's too hard to do or just, it's just, it's hard. It's different. It's yeah. not what people are used to doing. What would you say the difference is? Um, you know, well, pigs of all types are omnivores. And so when you release pigs, whether they're wild hogs or, you know, pasture raised pork, onto pasture, their diet is going to be totally different than they're, if they're eating grain out of a trough. You know, hogs will eat anything from a dead deer carcass to a snake to, you know, crickets to, you know, all different oh, times wow. of roots and <laughs> tubers and things that exist in nature that a pig eating out of a trough is just simply not going to get. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's going to change the meat completely. Totally. Yeah. They're going to be much healthier because they're able to eat a variety of stuff. And, uh, yeah. I got to try that. I haven't, that's, that's what I haven't tried so far. Are those the main, is there anything else or is that kind of the main line? We're always looking at ways to help, uh, producers go down that regenerative path. 
Um, and so we're always looking at opportunities to bring on folks uh, and provide them an outlet to sell regenerative products to market. And so we're actually working with a chicken producer right now to release uh, some really awesome chicken products to the market. That's, that's something that's really missing. Totally. I feel like chicken is one of the hardest things to find in good health. Uh, so that's, well, tell me about that. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think chicken, you know, is kind of like the ultimate example of commoditized meat. Um, you know, we've gotten to where we're at today with this industry because of consumer choice, you know, people want cheap meat. Um, and I think chicken's the ultimate example. And so the, where the market is in terms of price point just doesn't support, you know, a truly pasture raised bird. Um, and so I think when we communicate that to the, to the end consumer and start to be able to tell that story of like, you know, Hey, this is what you can get if you're willing to pay just a little bit more, uh, from a flavor profile, from an environmental impact profile, there's just so much more to consider than just the price of the product. Um, you know, we're talking about price. We're sitting here in an election season in our country and, you know, everyone's encouraging everyone to vote, which absolutely, in my opinion, you can't bitch if you don't vote. Yep. And I would encourage consumers to look at, you know, every dollar they spend in the marketplace is a vote. You know, they're sending a signal to the market that says, this is what I want more of. And so when you do that, especially with food and, and in particular meats, you're telling the market, hey, this is the system that I support and I want to see more of this. And, you know, I would encourage folks to think about that every time they make a purchasing decision. Yeah. You vote with your dollar. Like if you don't like something, you know, spend differently. That is, a, that is, that is where your power is. So for people other than so buying these products, which how, if we want to buy these, what do we do? Forceofnature.com. Okay. Great place to start. We've got everything we carry on there. I'd also encourage you to support your local retailers. Um, you know, we've got a list on our website. It's probably the best place to go of, of you know, all over the country, uh, the closest retailer to you that carries our products. Awesome. And what do you do in addition to, so other than supporting businesses and farms that do this, is there anything you can do at home to get into the regenerative farming or producing of their own food or what, what are some practices you could recommend for people to do just in a simple, easy way? Well, I think the five principles of regenerative agriculture are something that applies to the biggest farm in the world as much as it applies to the garden in your backyard. Awesome. Um, if you really, you know, break down what those are, the no-tilling, um, you know, armoring the soil, biodiversity, living roots, and animal impact, you can do that on a small scale you know, in a backyard, in a city, as well as you can do it on the biggest farm in the world. And, you know, to give a quick example, you, you know, everyone in almost every location, if, unless you got an extremely restrictive HOA and I'd make a movement to try and have them change the rules there, could have chickens. Yeah. You know, you can have chickens, you can have a garden, uh, you can, you know, run your garden in a way that, you know, you're not tilling the soil, you're putting a different variety of plants in there year round um, to encourage that diversity. Uh, and do things that, like we've talked about on a small scale that you can start to become a producer of your own food, which as we've learned over the last six months is a great thing to yes. have that security, <laughs> yeah. but then also understand like how, you know, how does these bigger companies apply this on a, a global scale and, and how can I look for things that mimic what I care about and, and what I buy? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's great. Do you, does force of nature offer any like courses or anything to learn more about, uh, regenerative agriculture farming at all 
Our website is is a great resource. Okay. Uh, our blog on our website is probably one of the better resources. We we encourage a lot of uh, folks from our team, and then also you know regenerative thought leaders, industry experts, ranchers, uh, to contribute to our blog. Uh, we've got all kinds of links to other resources there that are, are good uh, spots for for folks to learn more. And then locally here, we have an awesome resource in Rome Ranch that's you know an hour down the road. And so if you're anywhere in central Texas or want to make a trip here, uh, we do, you know, ranch tours out there. We do bison harvest. You can come actually connect and, and see that process. Um, you know, I actually going to sign up for the, uh, Buffalo, uh, harvest. Tell me about how that works. I'm curious about that in more detail. If you know, if you know about it. Oh, absolutely. All I'm, right, I'm involved. <laughs> oh, sweet. Well, then I'll be there. Yeah. No, yeah. it's a it's a really, I, I would call it a life-changing experience for a lot of people. Um, you know, for most folks, they've never seen an animal go through the end-of-life process and then become something that's in a package that they're going to take home and then cook and then feed to their families. And I think when you take people down that journey, it's it's life-changing for them. And it's a harvest. It's not a hunt. Um, you know, these bison are managed in such a way that we're, you know, very thoughtful about the animals that we're, we're removing from the herd. You know, most of the animals that are being removed are either non-reproductive females, uh, or young bulls. And it's just, it's an incredible process for people to be a part of. And I would encourage everyone to come out there in and above the harvest, you get a tour of the ranch and to see, you know, what these, regenerative ranches look like in practice do you have anybody you know other than so do you have anybody who's done a harvest or experienced something like that and they've had a radical shift in perception and kind of told you about it or do you know anybody's health or kind of just i don't know just feeling good has changed by eating differently eating more regenerative way like do you have anybody in your life you've experienced that you've come across? I was just curious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the perspective change is the biggest one for folks. And I've seen this in friends and family and, and just, you know, folks we've met that have come out to the ranch and participated in these events. Um, well, what is their perspective before? And then how does it shift? Would you say? Well, I think the narrative in society right now is that all meat is bad. And, you know, not only is it bad for the environment, but it's bad for you to eat. And I think, when folks come out and see a ranch like Rome ranch or some of these other regenerative thought leaders, you know, farms and ranches around the country and around the world, you know, you see an ecosystem intact. You see a ranch being managed in such a way that wildlife can exist, that there's plant diversity, there's green growing grass that's incomparable to most of the other properties around there. And then you start to scratch your head about these ideas that, you know, these big, uh, thought leaders are presenting to society that meets bad and it's, you know, it makes people think. And then when you have that connection and you, and you see where your food comes from, it's just, you understand, you have an understanding of the cycle of life in a way that I think we've lost as a society. Yeah, I think, I think so too. And, and you being a hunter, I feel like you have a, 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 you've had that understanding from a very young age, it seems. Uh, which is, which is, yeah, I think we should all be exposed. I had an experience one time when I was in Guatemala, we, we were staying on a permaculture farm and they wanted to show us how they killed their goats in a way that was, you know, uh, humane. And that experience was one of those experiences that started to turn my wheels as a vegan 
in the direction of being like, maybe that's not quite the answer. Uh, and it was, it was just a very eye opening experience. So I wanted, I wanted, I think Buffalo is such an important, uh, part of U S history and culture and our national mammal. Yeah, it is. It is a, it is a very important animal and it deserves a lot of respect. And if I'm going to be eating it, I, I deserve to understand how it is uh, processed. Absolutely. And the, and we firmly believe that the field harvest is one of the most humane uh, methods of harvest for those animals. Now, how scalable is it? That's, you know, a question that will take time. Um, But when you go out there and you see the field harvest, you see an animal that's with its entire herd, you know, bison are herd animals. So they like company. Um, It's eating grass and it's doing the things that a bison likes to do right until the minute that it's not. And to me, if I had to pick a way, I'd like to be field harvested. I'd like to be with my <laughs> friends and family doing whatever it is that I like to do the best. Yeah. And, and maybe someone may argue that these animals, uh, may just, uh, live happy lives forever that they, if they weren't harvested, but you know, these animals, I would imagine get attacked by, uh, wolves and different things. So they can die in very horrible ways. Yeah. Maybe not so much the bison on the ranch, but absolutely wildlife in general. Um, you know, nature's brutal. Yeah. It's, uh, when you really get out there and experience it, it's a eat or be eaten world that animals live in every day in a very horrible way. You ever follow nature is metal Instagram. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Follow that and you will see how metal nature is. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) It's entertaining. It's terrifying. Yeah. All of the things. It's very, it's good daily reminder to be like, Oh God, we have it so good. We have it so good. So good. Yeah. (laughs) We could be on the open plains just being torn open at any moment. (laughs) Well, and I think the other thing that's important to understand is that nature has a a healthy caring capacity. And we as human beings have such a presence on this planet. It's, you know, incomprehensible to think that we could just leave something and, you know, it would be better off because our impact is so great that we have to acknowledge our presence and what, you know, our role is in this you know, new ecosystem that we're now a part of, um, you know, we've eliminated predators in a lot of cases or eliminated, you know, tons and tons of habitat. And you have to ask yourself, you know, what's better for an animal starving to death, uh, because they don't have enough forage to feed themselves or, you know, controlling the population to a point that is, you know, the, within the caring capacity of that habitat and animals that are left can thrive. That's a freaking super solid point. I love that. Uh, what's the future of force of nature? Like where, where are you guys, you know, I know you're trying to bring more farms on, but you know, where, what is the super long-term vision? You know, the pie in the sky vision is that we want to take that, you know, one to 2 million acre goal of, you know, acres converted to regenerative practices and move it towards the billion acre mark. That's a huge, huge lofty goal. But again, you know, we're trying to, to be the, you know, the bridge that connects the regenerative ranches and that opportunity to move in the regenerative direction to the consumer. And so creating that regenerative supply chain and moving producers in that direction is our goal. Awesome, man. This was so good. Do you have any final thoughts or things you want to share? Oh, final thoughts. Um, I think the, uh, the voting one is a good point to, to reiterate. Just think about how you spend your dollars and consider it a vote for the change that you want to see. Uh, you know, specifically within, within meat. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks out there care about the environment. I think a lot of folks 
want to vote with their dollars in such a way that reflects that. And I, I truly believe that the best way to do that is to buy regenerative meat. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's been fun. This is super awesome. Uh, I'm going to come out to the ranch and uh, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have to do a round two after you come out there and you're part of a harvest or a hunt and you you can see the ranch and see in practice, you know, what it looks like. Yeah, I would love that. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. What an awesome episode. Thank you, everyone at Rome Ranch and Force of Nature. Thank you so much, Marshall, for coming out, sharing with us all your wisdom. Uh, Very excited to go check out. They offer a lot of really cool uh, workshops at Rome Ranch. They'll do tours to show you how they uh, grow everything and run the regeneration on their farm. They also have hunting. Uh, You can go for new timers. I'm definitely going to get on that. And they also have uh, uh, a buffalo uh, kind of, uh, what is the word? Think brain, think. Uh, harvesting so you go through the ending of the buffalo's life and the actual whole uh, you know dressing of the animal which I think if you're going to eat meat that you owe it to the animals and yourself to experience what that is to make that connection um, especially if you're going to continue to eat meat I think it's very important also it will bring I feel, and what I've experienced, is a deeper connection to my food, my nature, the world, and kind of our place in it. Uh, so check them out on Instagram, Force of Nature, and Rome Ranch. Check out, if you're in the Austin area, uh, any upcoming workshops. And start to reflect and think about where are your fruit, vegetables, meats grown. Um, I know there's another website. I think it's called... Uh, uh, live wild or something like that. Uh, it's a collection of very conscious, uh, small farms that I believe are doing regenerational farming that you can source chicken, eggs, vegetables, uh, get out there, make connections with your local farmers, at the farmer's market, go visit them, you know, teach your kids to start to understand Uh, where these animals come from, and in that way, they will start to care in a deeper way naturally about what they're eating and what they're putting in their body. I think education in this way is going to make a giant impact on the long-term effects of our society and our food. And remember, the best way for you to vote on how you want things to change as in regards to food and agriculture is where you spend your money. No amount of taxes can change this. It has to come from where you decide to put your money. It is your responsibility to make the change. So if you like this episode, please share it with somebody who would find this interesting and could benefit greatly from this. Also, remember to follow, leave a review on Apple, and I'll see you on the next episode.